All right, you may be seated. See if I'm on here. Testing one, one, two. All right, it is on. Well, good morning. Go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles back to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. Uh, verses 14 through 29 is where we'll be this morning. This is a continuation of a series that I started back in July, a two-part series of Jesus, the compassionate giver of faith. Jesus, the compassionate giver of faith. And before we read the passage this morning and pray, I just wanted to personally say thank you uh, to my church family, I love you guys, speaking on behalf of Mandy and I, uh, just all the prayers and support, the food, the cards, uh, so many ways that you guys have loved on us these last few weeks, as Pastor Jim prayed earlier, it's definitely hard as we grieve, but we know that God's grace is sufficient, and one of the ways that he shows his grace is through his people, and so know that your acts of love and kindness uh, are very, very helpful. And so let's remember that as well uh, to continue to love one another. So let's look at Mark 9, 14 through 29. We'll read our passage and then we'll open in prayer. Starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him. And never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said unto them, This kind cannot be driven out but anything but prayer, in some translations, prayer and fasting. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts before you as we are needy people. We understand that you, by your grace, are the sovereign Lord God Almighty. And that you have revealed yourself. You've revealed yourself through your creation that we're able to enjoy this morning. But most importantly, you've revealed yourself through your word of your special revelation of the Bible that we have in our heart language this morning. And so we say thank you. And so as we open up now the words of life and as we've read your word, God, we're dependent upon you for illumination from your spirit. We're dependent upon you for right understanding, right interpretation, and right application into our lives. God, we're dependent upon you for salvation this morning. As Brother Jimbo has already prayed, Father, would you bring any dead heart to life today that's listening to the power, the truth, the authority of your word, that today would be the day of salvation. And it's in the wonderful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So just real quick, a, a summary from the last time back in July, uh, verses 14 through 22, and then we'll spend the majority of our time, verses 23 through 29 today. When you look back at verses 14 through 16, we discussed how life is filled with conflict. When it says they came to the disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John had been up uh, on Mount Hermon. It was the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen uh, a glimpse of the glory of God, and they now come down from the mountain, and the other disciples were in an argument. They see this great crowd. They see the scribes, these Jewish religious leaders, arguing with the other disciples. Verse 15 Immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, you know, they're greatly amazed. They run up to him, and they're ready to greet him. Remember, we're moving into the third year of the public ministry of Christ. And Jesus begins to ask them, well, what are you arguing about? And, you know, as we think about our lives, so many trials, tribulations, and conflicts that may arise. And so with these disciples, there is a conflict in the midst. Well, what is the conflict? Well, the second thing we talked about is life is also filled with suffering. And so when you look at verses 17 and 18, someone from the crowd, which was the father, said, Teacher, I, I've brought my son uh, to you. He had brought his son to the disciples. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, had, again, had been up on the mountain for six days. So they had come to the other disciples. The father expresses that his son has a spirit that makes him mute. In verse 18, it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And he had asked the disciples to cast this spirit out of him. And, you know, last time we discussed of how horrific this would have been uh, for this father to see his son over and over dealing with this unclean spirit and the hardship and the affliction and the grief, the sorrow, the emotion that he would have felt and he was longing for help and he had come to Jesus for help but Jesus wasn't there initially so he goes to the disciples thinking well they'll be able to help me and so far his little boy the demon had not been cast out life is filled with suffering and then the third truth that we looked at was from verse 19 
as we read that, he answered them, Jesus speaking to the crowd, speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, but most importantly, speaking to his disciples. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? You know, Jesus wasn't going to be with them physically speaking, but for so much longer. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so we talked about how life is also filled with unbelief. There was such unbelief here. Think about all the miracles that Jesus had already done. And all these religious leaders had denied that. And even the disciples, the things that they had seen Jesus do. And yet, they were still struggling with unbelief. You know, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had already given these disciples the power, the authority to be able to cast out unclean spirits. Why were they not able to do it this time? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So then in verses 20 through 22, we looked at the compassion of Jesus, that life is also filled with the compassion of Jesus. In verse 20, they bring the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. It fell the boy falls on the ground and rolled about, and he's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father very compassionately, how long has this been happening to him? And you know, think about just the, the arrogance of this demon before the Lord God Almighty to once again cast this boy down, trying to show his power, his authority, which we'll see that ultimately he has no power and authority as compared to Christ. And so Jesus asked the father about how long this had been happening. And the father says from childhood. And then in verse 22, it had often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, I mean, this is the cry of this father's heart. Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I, I love the personalness of that pronoun. He doesn't just ask him to have compassion on the son. He, would you have compassion on us? This father loves his son. This father knows how much he needs Christ as well. And he's begging, he's pleading, Jesus, please help us, help my son. And we see the compassion of Jesus. And now that brings us to the last three truths that we'll look at this morning now that we have the context and that's going to be verses 23 through 29. So the fifth truth this morning is Jesus overcomes our unbelief. Jesus overcomes our unbelief. Look at verse 23. Jesus says to this father, If you can, do you see the explanation point? If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. He's saying to this father, he's exclaiming to this father, Do you know who I am? Have you not heard what I've already done? I'm the Lord God Almighty. I'm the Son of God. I'm God in the flesh. If you can, do we understand who Jesus is this morning? Sometimes, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our afflictions, in the midst of our circumstances of life, if you're anything like me, if you're anything like this Father, we forget who Jesus is. We forget His power, His compassion, 
His care, His promises. It's almost like we get spiritual amnesia. We've seen Jesus at work in our lives so many times. If you're in the faith this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. You've seen Jesus at work in you. You've seen Jesus rescue you from your sin. You've seen him meet your each and every need. But you might be going through some, something this morning and you're wondering, Jesus, where are you at? And Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus goes on to say to this father, all things are possible for one who believes. The word believes here is pisteo in the Greek. It's the word for saving faith. It's the word used in the New Testament of completely entrusting yourself to someone else. This is saving faith of this man in Christ. It's not just a simple head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. It's not just knowing the right things about Jesus. It's an act of the will. It's a choosing. Putting our faith and trust in Christ alone to save us. In verse 24, look at what the text says. Immediately as I was talking about this saving faith here of the father, it says the father of the child, he cries out and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And again, there's an explanation point there. I believe, Jesus, and help my unbelief. You know, when I looked up that word there, him crying out, it means to shout. It means to scream. It means to weep and to well. There were tears in the eyes of this father. And he's screaming out, Jesus, help me believe. And it's the same Greek word, pisteo, that was used in verse 23. This is a saving faith. This is a father that desires to know Christ. This is a father that understands his only hope is Christ alone. Do you understand that this morning? Do you see your sin for what it is? Do you see that a holy God has every right to be just to judge your sin? Each of us deserves the condemnation of hell But if you will trust, if you will believe in Christ, He will rescue you. He will save you from your sin. You know, when He says, help my unbelief, it means to come to the aid of, Jesus, whatever I'm lacking, would you please assist me? Would you please help me? Help my unfaithfulness. Thought about 2 Timothy 2.13. God's word says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Which means he remains true to his word, true to his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. Let me ask you this morning, anybody out there got a perfect faith this morning? Have you ever had times in your life, for those of us that are in Christ, We're in the faith where you've doubted, you've wavered, you've struggled. Again, if you're anything like me, if you're anything like the Father in this passage, it can be a battle. Jesus, help our unbelief. So how do we uh, overcome unbelief in our lives as believers? John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said this to the disciples, Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That word abide means to remaineth in, to continue in, to cling to. Jonathan, it reminded me, you know, being a, a father, our, our kids are growing up now, but think about a small kid who's scared and fearful of something going on in their life. And they run to their mother, they run to their daddy, and they cling with everything that they have because they're scared. And they're looking for protection. They're looking for provision. They understand this is a situation that they can't handle. And so they go to that parent clinging with every fiber of their being. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, Abide in me, remaineth in me, cling to me. Robert, you can't do it, but I can. And I love you. And I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. Obey me. Cling to me. You see, this morning, Jesus overcomes our unbelief. And this morning, if you're still apart from Christ, look to Christ. Come to Christ. He will save you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you faith. He'll give you eternal life. He'll forgive you of your sin. But you must look to Christ. And then the next truth that we see this morning is verses 25 through 27. Not only does Jesus overcome our unbelief, but Jesus overcomes evil. Jesus overcomes evil. Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and you deaf spirit, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by his hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You know, this isn't like some Marvel uh, movie or superhero movie where you've got the good superheroes, and then you've got the villains, and you wonder who has the more power and the authority, who's ultimately going to win. You see, there's only one who has absolute perfect authority in this particular situation, and ultimately in all situations, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This demon, this unclean spirit has no, nothing, no opportunity here. He's going to have to bow. He's going to have to submit to the Lord God Almighty. And I want you to see this morning, this wasn't about a popularity contest for Jesus. This wasn't about him making money. This wasn't about him calling a great crowd together, passing the offering plate. You know, I remember as a, a small kid going to this event where there were so-called you know, unclean spirits and this man that could supposedly cast out these spirits and you had to pay to get in and then they had the people up on the stage and they kept passing the bucket around and you had to give. Guys, this wasn't some kind of show Look at what the text says in verse 25. Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. Because remember, this man had been screaming out. He had been hollering out. He had been weeping. He had been wailing because his son needed help. And so all the people began to gather around what was happening. But Jesus, he's not looking for a show or anything like that. Because look at what the text says. As they come running together, he 
rebukes the unclean spirit. Quickly, before this crowd could gather, he, goes, he moves forward in healing this boy. And look at also what the text says. He rebukes this spirit there in verse 25. You mute and you deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him. And then look at how it finishes. And never enter him again. You're going to come out of this young boy, and you're never going to enter him again. How do we know that's true? Because Jesus says it. And he has all power, and he has all authority. So I don't care what you're going through this morning, what evil, what darkness, what afflictions, what trials you may be facing. Jesus has overcome the darkness. Jesus has overcome evil. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness must flee. And so even though this demon does have power, and he tries to exert his power, and he throws this boy down one last time, he must leave. We have a great God. A great God. But I also want you to understand this morning, you need to hear me, especially parents and grandparents, the devil, the evil one, Satan, is still after our kids. This was a little boy that this unclean spirit came to indwell. I want you to think about that. For years, this father and this son had dealt with this. This little boy of the evil, the darkness that he had dealt with, Guys, just this week in Okeechobee, a young man, a teenage boy, lost his life. He was shot. He was killed. Right here in our, t- our town, our community. I'm telling you, the evil one is still lurking. He's after our kids, and we need to be men and women of prayer. Evil aboundeth, but Jesus it's greater. And there's an intense moment here. This evil spirit, when you go on in the text there, verse 26, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, I think it's the Gospel of Luke says it shatters him. It comes out finally, and the boy was like a corpse. I mean, there, there's no way to beautify this. It's a, it's a gruesome scene. It's an intense scene of what this little boy has gone through and this unclean spirit finally coming out of him. It says that most of the people there said he's dead. He looks as if he's dead. There's no life in him. Guys, there's no sugarcoating Satan. Evil. He's always lurking. He hates you. He hates your children. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But then there's the hope. There's the power of the gospel. Look at verse 27. But Jesus, but Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up. And look at what it says. He arose. Jesus takes this little boy by the hand, and he picks him right on up. And he's restored. He's made right. He doesn't have this unclean spirit anymore. His eyes are now open. 
to the beauty, the glory of Christ that's right before him. There's safety and there's refuge in Christ. This morning, there's no need to fear. What are you fearing this morning? Cast all your fears and anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus is our compassionate Savior, and he will give you faith this morning. He loves you, and he cares for you, and he'll provide for your every need. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, I went through something in my life these last few weeks. One of the hardest experiences that I've gone through. I know, Israel, you can appreciate this. We've had these conversations of the loss of your mother and with the loss of my father. The goodness and all of it is Jesus upholding me with his righteous right hand. You know, the Thursday, uh, when my dad died on a Saturday, the funeral was going to be Thursday. And so that Wednesday, I, I went to Chick-fil-A just to begin to prepare and try to get my heart right before the Lord and just celebrating the life of my dad at the service and just the preparation of the gospel. And, you know, it was just me and the Lord uh, there at, at Chick-fil-A. And Kim, I'm sure a lot of people thought I was probably crazy. Because I would read a little bit, and I'd type a little bit, and then I would cry a lot. A lot. And I'd go for about five or ten more minutes, and then I would cry more. And I'd go about five or ten more minutes, and I would cry some more. And so this went on for about three hours. I, I figured somebody was going to come over. Are you okay? <laughs> Is there something wrong with you? But nobody did. But it was good. Because I needed the compassion of the Lord in the midst of my hurt and my sorrow and my fears, and my struggles. Came across this verse this week, Psalms 56, 8, really ministered to my heart. It says, you've kept count of my sorrows. You hear that again. God says, you've kept count of my sorrows. This is David praying to God. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I'm going to read that again. You've kept count of my sorrows. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I'm telling you, I could have filled up a big old bottle that day. But I was thankful, Mandy. I cried so much that day that I actually got through the service the next day. I was about cried out, at least for a time. And then it hit me again a few days later. And then it hit me again a few days later. And you guys that are grieving know how that is. But your tears don't go unnoticed. This father, this son, and this whole story, we don't just read it and just read over it. We have a God who cares, a God that's compassionate. And what this boy was going through was not unnoticed by Jesus. What you're going through this morning, it's not unnoticed. In a moment... Of time, all the sorrows of this father for his little boy were lifted. God, in his grace, he brings us out of the miry clay. Yes, there'll be other seasons that we go through, and God's grace will be sufficient in that season. And then there'll be another season, and God's grace will be sufficient in that season. 
But God's grace is always sufficient. Let's go to the last truth this morning, verses 28 and 29. Truth number seven, prayer is vital. Prayer is vital. It is of utmost necessity. Look at verse 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So they, they come to a place, they get away from the crowds, probably in Caesarea Philippi, we don't have all the details, and they're talking with Jesus, asking him this question, and look at what he says in verse 29. He says to his disciples, this kind, I mean, so this was an intense battle, this kind cannot be driven out, by anything but prayer. And again, some translations say prayer and fasting. So the disciples, you know, Jesus wasn't there at first. Peter, James, and John were not, the inner circle were not there at first. So it was these other nine disciples. What had happened? They had an opportunity to minister the power of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and it had not gone well. You know, Mark chapter 6, 7 and 13, it says this. Jesus called the twelve. He began to send them out. So this was earlier in his public ministry. He sends them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They had the authority. God, Jesus had already given it to them. Verse 13, they cast out many demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They had already cast out demons before. Why not this time? Well, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. This is the parallel passage of the Mark 9. Look at Matthew 17. Look at verse 20. Matthew 17, verse 20. In verse 19, they asked the same question. Why could we not cast it out? Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The disciples, in this moment in time, they lacked faith. They lacked trust in Jesus. He wasn't physically there with them, but he had already equipped them. He had already empowered them. But in this moment in time, Instead of trusting Jesus and his power and his authority, we don't have all the details, but in some way, shape, or fashion, you know who they were trusting in? Themselves. They were trusting in themselves. Can we not relate? How many times, Mandy, in my life, because she would know the best, do I try to do things in my own power and my own authority? Jim, sometimes I wonder about how can I be? How ignorant. How unbelieving at times. I have a wife that prays for me and very nicely, most of the time, corrects me, pointing me back to Christ. It's just unbelief. Guys, you can't rest on the laurels of the past. I mean, have we seen God at work? Yes, we have. And we can praise him for that. We can remember those things, and it's good to that. But I, I can't live on past faith. 
I've got to trust God right now, right here in the moment. If in God's grace you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to praise God when you roll out of the bed, and you're going to have to trust him that moment, the next moment, the moment after that, the moment after that. It's moment by moment walking by faith. And the disciples had failed to do that. Faith is a gift from God. God gives us a measure of faith, Romans 12. Faith grows the more we depend upon Christ. The more we abide in him, the more you mature in him, the more you come to trust him. You know, what happened to these disciples? Pastor Doug, I prayed this a lot. Pastor Jim prayed this a lot this week. May this not be true of Everglades Baptist Church. God so blessed us as a church, but we got to keep moving forward in faith. What are we tr trusting God for today? What are we going to trust him for tomorrow? I mean, yes, we can go back and we can praise him, right? But how are we going to move forward individually? What are we praying about? John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a great promise. Let me read that again. Jesus says, If you abide in me, so if, if you're a disciple, if you're in Christ, my words are abiding in you, so you're in the word, you're walking by faith, you're trusting Christ, you're obeying his word. Look at Wes. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I think sometimes, because we've seen so many false narratives, we've seen so many misuses of faith, we're not talking about prosperity, we're not talking about big houses, we're not talking about big cars, because Jesus wouldn't pray for that. So if you're abiding in Christ, you won't be praying about that stuff. But just because we've seen what is wrong, does that mean we don't ask God for the impossible? We need to be women, boys and girls of prayer. We need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be praying for the lost. We need to be praying for God to grip our community, to grip our families. Just because it's been wrong, the way, things that we've seen, doesn't mean we don't pray in faith. Asking God to do what he's promised. He says, I'll supply all of your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What are you praying about this morning? Proverbs 15.8 says the sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But look at this. The prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights when you pray. When you're praying according to his word. You're on your hands and your knees or you're at your kitchen table or you're prayer walking. God delights in the prayers of his people. Spurgeon said this, Our broken words, our gaspings, our stammerings come before a throne of grace. It's not about your big words. Who's going to impress God here? You might can impress me with your big words, but you're surely not going to impress our big God. You know, I thought about it this way, Mark. It's kind of like a parent with a little kid, especially when it's your first one, and they're doing their, their little words that they're trying to say. You think for the first time, they say, da-da. And it may not even really be what they've said, but you've got that attentive ear, and you're like, oh, they said daddy, or they said mommy, and we're so excited. We so delight in that. That's our God towards us as his children. He so delights in our prayers. He intercedes for us, our moanings, our groanings. 
Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given unto you. Speak, uh, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Is that true? Jesus said it. It's true. And again, if your heart is in line with Christ and you're maturing in the faith, you're being sanctified, your desires are going to line up with his desires and you're going to be praying according to his will. Okay, so I'm not talking about manipulating God with our faith. None of that garbage, none of that hogwash. I'm just talking about us walking by faith according to his word. Spurgeon also said, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. When you're in communion with Jesus, it's just the overflow of your soul. It's just gushing out of you. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, which Pastor Jim referenced earlier and Doug read, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Are you being tempted this morning? Probably so. You were tempted at some point this week. Jesus understands your temptations. And look at what it says in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's telling you, come boldly. Come before my throne and I will help you. I wanted to celebrate God a little bit this morning as we wrap up. I know our time, we're going a little bit late, but it's worth celebrating God. God has been so gracious to our church. I mean, I could tell thousands of stories. I don't have time to do that, so we won't go for hours. But Pastor Jim, I thought about you, prayed for you this week. If you guys know Pastor Jim's story, he and Kathy came from a broken family, man. But then God blessed you with a wonderful marriage, five wonderful kids that are now all married and their families. God is gracious. Somebody went before the throne of grace, Pastor Jim, on your behalf. And now you're pastoring a church here at Everglades Baptist Church. Just amazing. Pastor Doug, I thought about you. You grew up in a home where you were loved and you were taught the gospel. I know your parents, but yet for a season, for a while for you, it was kind of this counterfeit faith. It wasn't genuine, but God in his grace, he got a hold of your heart. Got a hold of your heart. Somebody went to the throne of grace on your behalf, and now you're pastoring here at Everglades. Pastor Tom, I thought you, you were told growing up that you were dumb and that you would never amount to anything. Well, God had other plans, didn't he? You preached thousands of sermons. You're now pastoring at Canal Point Baptist Church. Somebody went to the throne of grace for you. I thought about myself, a shy boy with a speech impediment, growing up, struggled with so many fears, so many anxieties, so much unworthiness, but yet somebody went to the throne of grace on my behalf. I can tell you I would never have thought I would be speaking in front of people, still get scared to death every time, but God in his grace, it's always sufficient. So you little boys and you little girls out there, you trust the Lord and you do what he calls you to do. And for us as parents and grandparents, you pray for your kids. I thought about Stephen Romick. Stephen, would you have thought 15 years ago that you'd be up here preaching God's word from where you were at, the life that you were in? Absolutely not. But as we used to say, I guess we don't probably say it anymore, but Stephen, last week you shucked the corn, man. It was awesome. The man preached the word and that was God's grace. Somebody went to the thrace on your behalf. I thought about Israel. Would you have thought 10 to 15 years, Israel, you'd be leading a youth ministry? But what the locusts had eaten, God has restored. You shared that Friday at chapel, the life that you were in, the way that your family was heading. But God and his grace got a hold of you, and he's changed you, and he's changed your family, and now he's given you your church family. 
and he's using you. Somebody went to the throne of grace on your behalf. I thought about Bill and Yvonne. I don't know if they're here. I don't think they're here this morning. But you guys know Bill's testimony. Stephanie, I thought about when we painted the house so many years ago. That's when I first got here. And God, how God used that to begin a relationship with Mr. Bill. And God brought him to his knees. And he cried like a baby, as he would say. And now, you know what Bill and Yvonne do every morning? You know what they do? They get up and they read the Bible and they pray together. Oh, such grace, such joy, such mercy, such love. God in his grace got a hold of Bill's heart when he was around 70 years old. I don't care how old you are this morning, whether you're 5 or you're 70 or whatever, God's grace is mighty and it's powerful. I thought about us as a church back in 2016. Pastor Doug, you can appreciate this. Our own life support. Um, we were kind of like you were three years ago or however long ago it was with COVID. Our church, we were struggling. I mean, let's be honest. If here, It was some pretty hard times. But we kept praying, and we kept striving to be faithful, to preach and teach God's word. And as we went before the throne of grace, God had a plan. Now, we, we can look back now, right, and we can kind of see that plan. God said he was going to breathe fresh air into us. Okay, not like audibly. I'm just I'm looking back at what God has done. Okay, COVID was going to hit. We went from meeting in a school. I'm going to have you meet outside for a season. And by the way, while you do that, I'm actually going to grow my church as people bring their own chairs and sit underneath trees in the hot Florida sun. Who does that? God. It's kind of like what I read this week of the Battle of Jericho. Who circles around this big city and this big wall? The people of Israel, because that's what God told them to do. You know what God's told us to do? to be faithful, to preach and teach his word, to go and make disciples. That's awesome. God has grown his church. I mean, people ask, how your church is doing? I'm like, well, God's at work. What are you doing? Well, we just meet outside, you know, we sing, we pray, we preach and teach God's word. That's how God grows his church. What's true of all those stories Someone went to the throne of grace and God was gracious to save us or to use us. Spurgeon said this, what might a church be if all her members were mighty in prayer? If you don't hear me say anything else, I'm going to say that again. Spurgeon said, what might a church be if all her members were mighty in prayer? May we be a church that's faithful to pray. And so I leave you with the gospel this morning, also from Spurgeon. He was talking about that Hebrews 4 passage. Jesus is grace personified. When you think about the throne of grace, grace seized sin. Grace threw it on his own shoulders. Grace went up Calvary. Grace was crushed beneath the burden of sin. Grace carried sin all the way to the cross. Grace nailed it there. Grace slew it there. And grace put sin to death forever there for all of God's people. If you will repent and you trust in Christ today and his work on the cross, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. And you will experience the grace of God. Pray.
Thank you, thank you for hey. And many as I was to try to exalt you all for hope and church. I'm just a pastor, my brother, which is just a son, and thank you ministry, and their love, and their support, and then the ministry, ministry. And Lord, there's just so many ways. We're just trying to be faithful. We struggle with the sinfulness of our own hearts. God, would you help us overcome our unbelief? And then we just struggle with the evil of our old. It's so hard, the things that we battle. God, would you overcome the evil in our community? God, would you heart to pray? May we continue to trust you if possible, and may you move your kingdom forth in the one we pray. Let's all stand and worship.